This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me start with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you for just the, the miracle that is your power as our Messiah, as our Lord, as our King, as our priest, Amen. as our prophet. Lord, there, um, yeah, your, your, your character because Jesus Christ is God, your character is inexhaustible, it's wonderful, it's something we'll learn and grow and appreciate for all eternity. Um, Lord, I pray this morning as we just consider Jesus, as we consider the, the reality that, that he is the good news, Lord, I pray that your spirit would use your words, use your, your son, our king, um, not just to bring us into submission to him, but to, to help us see his face and have joy and gladness and peace because we understand him better. That's what we want this morning, Lord. Uh, in your name I pray, amen. amen. So we're kind of at a, a, a big shift. Um, I, I have the slide with the breakdown of the, the whole series, uh, all the different parts, one through five, which is after uh, uh, our, uh, our Advent one. So there could be a there's, a, there's a prequel to the parts one through four that are there. But we're sort of hitting this point where we've moved on from the, the part two, which was we finished that last week, and now we're moving into part three. And if you look in Luke, so if you have your journal Bibles, um, this is a, this, I actually put arrows going one way and arrows going the other way because commentators generally agree that this is a huge, like, this is a huge shift in the book of Luke uh, and, and unique to Luke, even in the material that it covers. But if you look at chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus says, when, or uh, Luke writes, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. When the days drew near, it's, it's a, uh, one commentary said so you can almost feel that it's a little ominous for him to be taken up. When the days drew near, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. So for the next 10 chapters, more so than any other gospel, we're actually kind of following Jesus to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. Luke, more than anyone, spends the most time in this period of Jesus' ministry. So kind of on his way to this, this climactic finale in the death and resurrection, we get a lot of dangers that come up. We get a lot... Oh, she's already for the sermon this morning. I'm, I appreciate it. We get dangers that come up. And so we're going to spend, I think, four or five weeks in this section... Uh, leading up to the finale, and we'll have, uh, obviously, we'll have the death and resurrection around Easter time in April. Um, but I'm, I'm excited about this section because it's a, it's a big section, and it's sort of like things are intensifying as Jesus is, is, as the days drew near for him to be taken up, for him to be put on the cross, for him to die, for him to, the, the conflict between the, the leaders and the people is sort of coming to a head, even to the point where when he finally gets to the cross, his disciples abandon him. So it's like, it's just this building up that happens over the next 10 chapters. And so he's talking about the dangers, the dangers of, uh, as, we, as we follow the way, as we think about 
the fact that suffering is involved, uh, as, we, as we think about the fact that Jesus is the one who we rely on and we're, we're part of this life rhythm that images him, that mirrors him, we're part of this way, we're talking about the dangers as we journey towards this finale. And that's sort of where we're going over the next few weeks. And we'll get, we'll get little reference points as we go through the chapters where it's, it's sort of like reminding us that there's like a journey going on here. So this morning, we're going to start out with one of the more uh, obvious ones, but I think it's important to see even in this first little story that we, that we read already, the danger of, of missing the gospel. The danger of missing the gospel. And with the kids... We say, uh, as part of their uh, sort of catechism questions, as part of their, we call them their gospel questions, we ask the question, why is Jesus the gospel? We ask the question every week, why is Jesus the gospel? And it's an awkward way to word that question. It's not, why is Jesus the gospel? Think about that. You, some of you may just know the answer from, but why would we ask the question that way? We're saying, why is Jesus the gospel? I almost want someone to give me an answer, but we're not that kind of church. <laughs> so, so I'll, Everything that has to do with Jesus, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his intercession, his priestly role, his kingly role, his prophet role, everything that has to do with Jesus is good news. Everything. Amen. Everything about Jesus is good news. And gospel is just a fancy word for saying good news. We're saying, why is Jesus the good news? And the kids answer that question in light of Jesus loved his father perfectly, loved his neighbor perfectly, and took the punishment for those who don't. Jesus is good news because I need him to be in the presence of God. Now, the kids don't have all of that. We're just doing a little, little pieces. There are only three. <laughs> Jesus is good news because I need every aspect of him to be in the presence of God. Jesus is good news because everything about what he does accomplishes what I need. Everything. Comprehensively. Everything about his life is good news. So this morning, the first kind of danger we're going to look at is missing the gospel. Missing the gospel. That's kind of, maybe I can, I'll put it a different way. A, a danger is to see our lives in a way that isn't through the lens of everything Jesus has done. That's a danger. But when we're, when we're thinking about our suffering, when we're thinking about things that we look forward to, when we're thinking about our purpose in life, when we're thinking about our ability to do something or to not do something, our danger, even as Christians, maybe especially as Christians, our danger is to see all of these aspects of our lives through a different lens than Jesus himself. 
in all sorts of places. And so this morning, I want to start by just reading this section in verse 57. Talk about the form. This is one of this, uh, I feel like I rewrote um, this outline like 50 different times. Um, but I think, I think it's clear in my head now. So you can, you can tell me one way or the other. Here's where I'm getting at in the form. We're going to read in verse 57 in chapter 9 before we get to the story. We say as a church that our mission is to bring good to others as we're formed by God. We want God to form us. And I think we should ask the question, into what? <laughs> like, what does that look like? What does it look like to be more formed by God? Amen. What does that look like? And, you know, uh, hopefully you're already there because I talked about every aspect of our lives is through the lens of Christ. <laughs> but that looks more like Jesus. We're asking God to form us more and more into the image of Jesus. Yes, Lord. We have to be careful what we ask for. <laughs> Let's look at verse 57. They were going along the road. Here's this journey language that comes in this section. They're going along the road, and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. He, this is a teacher that has a, a way of life, that has wisdom, that he's, he's preaching to the crowds, he's healing, and someone's like, hey, I'm on board. I want to be formed, and I want my life to be molded and shaped like yours. Anywhere you're going, I'm on board. I want to do that. And I think we could, we could rightly say, sweet. You know, like, how many people we talk to about who Jesus is and what he's doing, and they're like, I'm in. Let's go. I'm on board. Let's do this. Look what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He's like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to be formed into my image? Are you sure you want to follow me wherever you go? Because if you are going to follow me, my life has a measure of suffering. And we talked a lot about that in the way. Like this is the, it's sort of counterintuitive, but it's, it's actually in our suffering and in our lowliness that God is the one that exalts us up. God is the one that lifts us up. God is the one that gives us joy and peace and all of those things. But if we're asking God to form us, Jesus is saying, are you sure? Because the danger is we're going to see what we want from God through our lens. We're going to define for ourselves well, how I want God to form us. Where, in which ways I want him to form us. And Jesus is saying, I want you to see that through the lens of my life. Everything about me is good news. He goes on to say, to another, he said in verse 59, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Seems reasonable. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. If that wasn't coming from our Lord and Savior, I think we would be like, well, that's a little harsh. Maybe we think that too. That's okay. Let the dead bury the dead. 
he's, he's not talking about zombies. He's talking about people who are separated from God. He's like, if you want to be formed into my image, if you want to see your formation through the lens of my life, you have to be committed to the kingdom of God. Like, that has to be your purpose. That has to be your focus. That has to be the thing that consumes you. When we say, Lord, I want to draw near to your presence so that you would transform me, that you would form me, we're asking God to help us be more focused on his kingdom. Amen. Because we're asking God to make us look like Jesus. Because everything about Jesus is good news. When Jesus proclaims the kingdom, we could say, we can look at Jesus and say, man, Jesus is dead set on bringing you the kingdom of God, right? Like we know that he doesn't experience mission drift, you know, like he's, he's the most focused. And do you know what the, the phrase that comes up the most when Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God Repent and believe. Repent and believe. If we're asking God to form us, if we believe everything about Jesus is good news because of who he is, we're actually asking God to make us focused on the kingdom more. We're more zealous for people repenting in believing the good news. We're more zealous for people turning from lies, honestly, turning from sin, turning from other ways to view the world in believing that Jesus is the good news. We're more zealous in our own hearts. We come before God and say, I don't see this the right way. I need you to form me. I need you to transform me. I need you to shape me into the image of Jesus. He's committed to the kingdom. So let those who are dead, let those who are spiritually dead, let those who are not in relation to God deal with themselves. I'm dead set on people who want to turn from that sin and embrace the good news and have life in connection with God. Jesus is saying, are, are you sure you want to be formed into my image? The next one he says, yet another he said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's kind of savage. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He is saying, I think what Jesus is getting at here is that this has to be the priority. Like we don't have a range of priorities 
And God's kingdom is just part of that. God's kingdom is a priority number one in everything that we do. It's the first and only thing as it relates to our work, as it relates to our marriage relationship, as it relates to our children, as it relates to our recreation. Everything is the priority. It doesn't have competing priorities. It is the priority. And the good news, the, the reason why the gospel is beautiful is because when we look at Jesus and who he is and what he's doing and where his focus is, we see that. Amen. Like no wavering focus on the, on the, the kingdom of God. And when we ask God to form us, when we worship him and draw near to him and say, Lord, shape me into the image of Jesus, or when, we, when we're at home reading and prayer in the morning before we go on with our day, and we're saying, Lord, shape me into the image of Jesus, the form of that, like what that looks like, is it looks like, I want to be okay if you're calling me to suffering, Lord. I want to be okay to be committed to seeing others repent and believe the gospel, and, and more so, I want to be okay understanding that your kingdom and what you're doing is the priority. Like that matters more than anything else in my life. I'm asking you to form me so that I look and act and think like Jesus. That's what I want. And the danger is to interpret our lives through anything other than the gospel, the life of Jesus, which is really easy to do. <laughs> we don't need help with that. Everything else is forming us away from that. Think about that. When you ask God, when you approach God, when you draw near to God and you desire for him to shape and form you, Are you looking at the life of Jesus and saying, that's where I want to be? I want to be so enamored with who God is that if even my, work, my best friends leave me, I'm committed to your kingdom purpose. I want to be so obsessed with seeing others and more of myself turning from my false views of the world and believing the truth of what God is saying. That I'm sometimes in uncomfortable places where I may, may be asking for someone to believe the truth. I'm encouraging someone to turn from lies and believe the truth. Because that's what we're asking for. If we're asking God to form us into the image of Jesus, we have to see all those things through that lens. And if we don't, then we're missing the good news. That is every aspect of who Jesus is. He has a goal here. And I think there is some hope because you might, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's easy when we think about the life of Jesus to, to just like see the facts on the ground and say, that is really lame. Like, that's not what I want. 
it doesn't sound like the good life. But there's, 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 this is where I think this story comes in. Because I, when I first read this, I'm like, okay, we're shifting. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. There's sort of like the suffering that's escalating. There's some conflict that's escalating here. Why in the world, and Luke is the only one that records this, do we now decide to send out 72 disciples? Like, where does that, how does that fit into the story? Like, how do I make sense of this? How, why is this a part of, of this path towards the cross? He's previously, he's actually sent out the apostles in a similar kind of way. But now he went from 12 to 72. And why 72? It seems like an oddly specific number of people to send out to do a certain thing. And there's a couple of clues here. First of all, if you look at Luke chapter 2, I'm going to flip back, or just chapter 2, verses 32. This is where Jesus is presented at the temple and someone greets him and breaks out in song or in, in prophet, uh, like a prophetic nature here. In verse 32, he says that the baby is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Luke is saying at the beginning of his long, complicated gospel, part of what Jesus is coming to do is to expand his glory and his majesty throughout all of the world, all over the world. And then if you look, I have this verse on the screen because part of Luke, the, this part two of Luke is in Acts. So at the end, the very end of Acts, this is how he ends it, of his giant work. <coughs> he says, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. He ends his giant work with saying, the Gentiles will hear. So we have another bookend with Luke saying that everything Jesus is doing is actually going across to the whole world at the beginning and at the end. And so when you look at this story in chapter 10, when he appoints 72, that's actually the traditional interpretation of Genesis chapter 10, and we won't read all 72 names, of the breakdown of the nations of the world. So after Noah, it says there, there are 72 that list all these sons of sons and this nation, and it's like a really long thing. It's a breakdown of, it says, of all the nations of the world. So here is Luke, as things are escalating towards the cross, he's writing this narrative for us that begins and ends with the, the grand explosion of what God is going to do across the entire world to bring into his kingdom to all of the nations. As he moves towards the cross, he gives us a little story that shows the goal. Like the nations were broken up at Babel because of sin. There isn't unity and there is a, a, a number of different languages because of sin. Because when fallen creatures who are separated from God get together, their ultimate aim isn't to worship and glorify God. <laughs> Think about it this way. Where in Denver... <laughs> 
is it more hostile to the gospel? On Union Street or out in the suburbs, or Union Station or out in the suburbs? I don't think that's a coincidence. City centers aren't known for uh, their worship of God, typically. When, When fallen creatures like us gather together and unify, the goal that comes to mind isn't the worship of God. It's usually the promotion of ourselves. We prop ourselves up as God. And all the nations, all 72 nations were dispersed at Babel because the entire world was coming together and God's like, oh no, last time that happened, I brought the flood because it got really bad. Now everything is coming together. I'm going to disperse the nations by giving them all these different languages so it won't actually get as bad as it got before the flood. And so now here is Jesus stepping in and he's saying, I have a goal to restore all things, even from Genesis. I, I have a goal to send out 72 all over the place because this is a, an image of the fact that the gospel, the good news of what Jesus is doing, isn't just for Israel. The goal is to draw all people back, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, into the worship of God. Amen. And that's what he's telling us through this story. Luke is saying, yes, things are escalating. Yes, things are about to get bad. But look at what Jesus is able to accomplish. Look at what he's doing. He's bringing all the nations back together. And I'm showing you that through the 72 that's sent out. That's why he says the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. This is a worldwide project. There's a lot of people to bring together to worship God. That is his work. He's the one that's doing that. Look at verse nine. It says, heal the sick. Heal the sick and then say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. That's worldwide expansive language to say I'm, ex- I'm growing my reach to the whole world because that's what I've come to do repeats it in verse 11 says the kingdom of God has come near and it's fascinating he says I tell you it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town which is interesting. Sodom is not the stereotypical great city in the Old Testament. So it's, uh, there's, a, there's a reason why we get the word sodomy from that town. But there's all sorts of levels of debauchery in that town. And God is saying, there's so much light. There's so much of the good news of who Jesus is being shown right now through the 72 that I've sent out that are proclaiming that the kingdom has come. If they reject this light that's just shining everywhere, that's come in ways that people long to see that we read before, and here Jesus is sending out these 72 and all these things are happening and and demons are submitting to them and it's just crazy 
just sort of, I want to say like an exclamation point on what Jesus is doing. If they reject that, they're going to be in a worse shape than Sodom when it comes to the day of judgment. Because this is a crazy, just, yeah, I don't know what else to say, exclamation point on what God is doing. This is super clear. And he says that in verse 13 and following. He says, woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, non-Jewish places, they would have repented long ago. But it'll be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, another town that rejected what Jesus was doing. Will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. Jesus is communicating to us his goal. And, and we get to see this when we read this. He's saying that the goal of our king, of our savior, of our Messiah is for the gospel, the, the proclamation of who he is, is to go everywhere. To go to all the nations. And, and it's the reason why we're in danger of missing the gospel is because we can easily see that as our work. We can easily see that as something that we have to accomplish on our own. And this is Jesus as, as the Lord. This is Jesus as, as the one who is empowering others. He's saying, no, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to be the one to, to enable you and send you out to accomplish my goal. I will accomplish that. I will make sure that that happens because that's the, the good news of the fact that I came and I, I have been equipped and as we see resurrected in, in the book of Acts, it's all the things that Jesus ha does after the resurrection and he, and he begins to accomplish his goals. The gospel spreads everywhere. And he's giving us like a little taste of that right here. I think what he says in verse 16 is... Um, it's sort of the, like the, the main idea of his work. As we, as we think about the story of God, we just talked about the fall. The relationship was broken. Like everything was great. The relationship between God and man was wonderful. And then there's rebellion. Then there's rejection of God. God is pursuing his people, but the, the, the main issue, if you read the story, the main issue is that people rejected God. And everything just went downhill from there. And here's what Jesus is saying. This is, this is Jesus' goal in verse 16. The one who hears you, hears me. He's like, I'm sending you out. I'm equipping you. I'm the one that's giving you this message. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. As Jesus proclaims the good news of his life, of his death, of his birth, of his resurrection, as Jesus says, I want everything to be centered around who I am, your whole life to be shaped by the gospel, if you reject that, 
just like Adam and Eve, you're rejecting God himself. His goal is peace, is the restoration of that relationship. This is sort of said in the negative here, but as he proclaims the good news of his life, his death, his resurrection, he, he proclaims the kingdom of God, as he says, repent and believe, as he says, have your life formed and shaped like me, saying, I'm, I'm doing all of these things because my goal, the thing that I came to do, the reason why I'm sending out the 72 and giving you a taste of this worldwide expansion of the gospel is because my goal is to restore the relationship between God and man. That's his goal. That's the root of everything is to restore that relationship. And our danger, our danger is to see our purpose and our goals in life as anything less than restoring the relationship with God himself. And that doesn't mean that if we have any purpose in our day other than to just sing worship songs, we're off track. <laughs> like think about before the relationship was broken with God, Adam and Eve have, had a job and did things. And re- I'm sure had recreation and enjoyed the beauty and the wonder of the creation in ways that we probably can't even imagine. But all of those things before the relationship was broken was meant to glorify God and to experience his goodness as well. Whereas the catechism says to to glorify God and enjoy him forever. They were enjoying their creator as they create Their hearts and their minds were just oriented towards that relationship with God. That's all that consumed them before the fall. And Jesus is saying, the good news is that I'm coming to restore all of that. The good news is that I'm I'm coming to reorient your goals so that when you are logging your run on Strava, you can think of the beauty and wonder and glory of God. So that when you're at work going through the daily grind, you can work as to the glory of God and you can see what you're capable of and how you can shape and mold the world because you're made in his image and there's beauty and wonder there that only comes from him. And the danger as we follow this path to glory is to think of our goals in life as anything but that. Anything but the restoration of all of humankind with our creator. It's easy. um, Maybe it's not easy. It makes sense to me when I read the Bible and I look at Jesus' life and say, okay, I might be uncomfortable, but that's what God is calling me to be formed into his image. Or I look at his goal. Uh, it's good news that there's restoration uh, between mankind and God. But then it's easy for me to look at all of that in a little bit despair. Like, 
That just seems impossible. It seems like there's no way that that could be accomplished. And in a real sense, it's impossible. <laughs> like, I don't have the ability to restore someone's relationship with God. I don't have the ability to draw my own heart up to the glory of God. I mean, we were talking about it in prayer this morning. Like, we can know the things, but until the Spirit, till, till God himself has transformed something inside of us, then it's just gonna be a thing that we know. Like, there has to be a power greater than us to accomplish those things. And uh, that's why Jesus is the good news. <laughs> Look at what he says. Like, in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy. And it's interesting, uh, based on everything we know, they probably weren't gone for very long. It doesn't seem like this was like a very long missionary journey. Like he sent them out as prep kind of for where he was coming and then they came back. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Like they're impressed. Like we, you sent us out with power and the demons were subject to us. Like how does that work? <clears throat> He said to them, I love this response. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What? <laughs> He's referencing Isaiah 14. I'm not going to re-preach that whole sermon. You can go back. We have that. Isaiah 14 is where he's looking at Babylon, like the power of the day, the, the, this like monster of a nation that's coming to, to sweep in like a flood. You know, it's hard not to think of like the movie 300 and like the scene where it's like all, like the army's like so gigantic that it's like darkens the sky from all the things that are burning. But in Isaiah 14, he looks at Babylon and said, you king, you king against me and my people, you thought you were so great, but I saw you fall from heaven down to Sheol. Now we laugh at you. Now we mock you. <coughs> Now the kings who thought you were great are in a better position than you. Jesus is like, look, you shouldn't be surprised that I have power to do all of these things through you because I have crushed Satan. He's the enemy and we can just mock him now. He's the one that ruined everything and I stomped him under my feet. He's the one that lifted himself up so high to be a foe king in God's good world. And I saw him fall like lightning down to the ground. The danger for us when we, get, when we despair of what God is calling us to is that we think the power is ours. We don't see it through the lens of a king who has crushed Satan. We don't see the good news that Satan and his minions are powerless because of a savior who has died and rose again. Amen. 
This is the good news of the gospel. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen. All, all authority. Not like most of it. Not like over here at church, but not over here. Revelation calls him the king of all the kings. Because there are authorities in the world, and the Bible says it in a hundred different ways, that he's the biggest one. <laughs> he has all the power and authority. And he's embarrassed our greatest enemy. <laughs> he's brought him down and humbled him. And he's equipped us through the spirit to actually be formed like him. He's equipped us through the spirit to have our hearts and minds fixed on his goal of the restoration of all mankind to the presence and glory of God. Like he's the one who is filling us with his presence and his power. It's not mine. She agrees. Here's the danger. Is that when we despair, when we look at what God is calling us to do, what, uh, There's like 16 people here. We think about what God can accomplish with 16 people and we despair. We're missing the gospel. We're missing the reality that we're united to a king who has embarrassed our greatest enemy. When I think about how easy it is for my own heart to be led astray, when I think about things that God calls me to do that I worry about or that I am concerned with or that give me a level of anxiety, I'm missing the gospel. I'm like putting it on me. I'm saying, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the power. I don't know the capability. God's like, uh-huh, you don't. But I've united you to someone who does. <clears throat> I think one way, as I've thought about this verse, and I've tried in my own heart, and my own mind to sort of like feed what I'm doing through the lens of the gospel and, and who Jesus is and what he's accomplishing. There are things I do in my life that I feel pretty good about. You know, it depends on the week, maybe. But there are. You know, whether it's something we accomplish at work, whether it's a goal uh, working out. You know, I think um, JJ sleeping through the night and not himself I'm just like yeah we did it <laughs> so like like there's little little things that we just like see and get excited about and are encouraged with and, and those are good things but in my heart in my thoughts or in my mouth usually that's the order 
who gets the credit for that? Am I, am I giving glory to God for equipping me with his word? Am I, am I, am I amazed at the fact, like he says right here, that our names are written in heaven? And so he would, or, he would, he would think to orient you in your heart towards God. He did that. So, so anytime you have thoughts of enjoying God himself, that's Jesus's power at work. That's his power at work. Anytime you have a conversation and you feel like there was wisdom or you feel like there was encouragement that you gave to a friend or a spouse, that's Jesus working in and through you. You should praise him for that. You should recognize him for that. And I think the more... I think the more that we recognize, the more that we reorient our thinking through the lens of who Jesus is, life, death, resurrection, all the above, I think more regularly, we're gonna come to him in prayer and say, Lord, even this happened. And he's gonna say, yeah, (laughs) because I have the power. I'm capable of doing those things. And I wanna keep doing those things through you. So as we journey on the way, as we make our way towards the glory and peace and joy that's found in God himself, I think the biggest danger for us in everything is to not interpret our lives through the good news of everything Jesus is, everything he's aiming for, everything he's capable of. And the more we orient our thinking around the gospel, I think the more joy and peace we're gonna have in God himself, the more we're gonna rest, the more we're gonna realize what Jesus says is actually, my burden is light. It's not heavy. I'm the one, Jesus is the one working in and through us. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's where real rest is found. Let's pray and ask for his help in that. Father, um, I'm sure if most of us can look back in our lives and think about things that we cared about, things that we love, things that we sort of lived our life around and um, yeah that's although, although I struggle daily but it's amazing to see what you're capable of doing in people Lord you just reorient reorient us from self to you and, and we know that that's a struggle all the way until we see you face to face and we're made like you and we don't see dimly, but we see fully. And we look forward to that, Lord. We, we long for that. We wanna, 
We want to be shaped and formed into the image of the resurrected Christ. Have the glory that he has now in your presence, Lord. But in the moment, we are participating in the difficult way to find peace and joy in you in a broken world. And I pray that you would encourage us at what you're capable of. Lord, I pray that when we ask, whether it's on Wednesday night or whether it's um, in our homes, when we, when we ask you to form us and to shape us, that we would see the beauty and the wonder of your son and, and aim for that, that that would be the goal. Um, we need your help with that. I need your help with that, Lord. And I pray that you would continue your work, your powerful work in and through us. And we trust you in those things. In your name I pray, amen.